This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Love Letters Live with Janet Galen. Hey, Janet, how are you? I'm fine, dear. Thank you. I get to introduce you now, right? Yes, you do. Okay, so <laughs> I, I want to say welcome to Love Letters Live. And by the way, some people do say Love Letters Live. And when we first started, we thought we would have a call-in radio show. Oh, okay. Love Letters Live. And then we decided it was just too much to sit in a studio for three hours, you know, fielding calls. And so we changed it to what it is now. But we kept the spelling the same. And we can pronounce that Love Letters Live because they do. They do. They do right. forever down the generations. So either way we say it, it makes sense. Okay. I want to introduce my guest today, Karen Moss Hale. And um, oh, this, is, this is such a result. Our friendship, our knowing each other is a result of the miracle that is today in the midst of and under the pressure of this awful, awful plague that has assaulted humankind. I met you online because I did a YouTube for something else right for new cleveland radio and we met and it was a very short step and you told me very quickly because you knew what i did you told me about a letter that you wrote to your mother yes when did you write it so i've been writing it in my head for the last four years um, oh. <laughs> four years ago um my mother had a stroke hmm. um but had no idea that she actually had a stroke, didn't feel ill or anything, but she lost her eyesight. But did that, she was the only, that was the only hint? But she didn't know she was blind. She, she was thought, totally she believed that she could still see. And because of her age and how fragile the doctors thought she was, how they, told old was us, she, may I ask? they told us not to tell her. Well, how old was she? She was 96 and a half years young. Oh, oh my. Okay, yeah. go ahead. She had been living on her own um, in uh, a, a senior living. Um, and the only help she had was once a day, they came to make sure that she took her medication because a previous stroke, uh, she couldn't count after that. So she knew that which pill she had to take but she couldn't remember how many of each. May I ask you a question? Sure. Because I'm so interested and curious, and maybe people need to know these things. Sure. You say she lost her sight. Right. This last stroke for you. Did she right. lose it totally? or did to she? Totally. But in her mind, she could still see. What made her think that? Um, because her brain was not connecting to the fact that she couldn't see. Okay. So in her mind, you know, she would see what she wanted to see, which in the beginning was sort of easy because um, she was still very alert in many ways. So we, I'd walk in and to see her and she'd say, oh, I love that shirt you're wearing. But she still had to get up and take herself to the bathroom. Well, no, we were helping her at that time. Oh, okay. So okay. she knew that she, had, we had told her she had a stroke. So she knew that she was weak. That's all she knew. Okay. Um, and as time went on, she started going through dementia. Um, and she only, you know, stayed with us another two and a half months from that time. But oh. it was during that time that I reconnected with her in a way that 
I didn't know I had this wonderful relationship with my mother. Hold your horses. And whoa, Nellie. Okay, this is just gold, what you just said. And may I ask you to back up and say what your relationship with her was? I always thought... I'm guessing yeah. like any relationships, it right. had real difficulties and, you know, hard spots. So I always thought my mother and I had this love-hate relationship. I knew she loved me, but, you know, like when I... We, when we connected today before we went live, um, you said, oh, you look very nice today. My mother would say something like, Karen, you look nice, but why are you wearing that uh, necklace? Uh, the butt. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, it'd be like, well, because I like it. Now I would go look in the mirror and wonder, should I be wearing it? Shouldn't I be wearing it? What do you think motivates that? You know, I don't, now that I think back, I don't think she ever meant anything, you know, bad. Um, I think sometimes it was just asking me the question, you know, it was trying to keep the conversation going. So you oh. look nice, you know, instead of saying, where did you get that necklace? Exactly. Why are you wearing it? Um, or she loved my hair short. So when I would start growing my hair out, she would make comments like, you know, you look so much better with your hair short. But I think what she was saying, I like your hair short. Um, and it took, it took me up until her getting ill and me moving in and living with her those last two and a half months that I realized that those words that felt so bitter through my life were not bitter at all. And that's when I knew that this feeling that I had for her, I had to get it out. Um, and I wasn't sure how to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think sometimes when our children get older for some mothers, maybe yours, they, they lose their position of being in charge of you and in control of your every move and whether or not you have a fresh diaper. I mean, starting from the basics, maybe that need to somehow maintain their position of being in charge of you kind of stays in there. Oh, you know, um, I I think you're probably very right. You know, I was the baby. Yeah. Okay. I was the only girl. Um, she had images of what she wanted me to be. And I think all parents sort of have those images, but they don't always uh, react to them. But my mother would remind me over and over again when I was dating, you know, of course, you're only going to date a Jewish boy. And so that pushed me. When I was in college, uh, if she called me on a Saturday night and said, what are you doing? I came up with Jewish names just to make her happy. Um, <laughs> you know, I was sort of running out of them, and I think she sort of caught on after a while. Um, but, you know, I grew up in a generation, uh, probably somewhat like yours, that I wanted to please my parents. And constantly trying to please them, I also put myself in a position for them to question what I was doing. And I realized that, you know, now that as I've gotten older. And not to be aware of what pleases you. Right. Oh, yeah. it, it took probably, I didn't realize what pleased me until after my mother passed away. What did please you? Um, it, I like 
pleasing other people, but there's always a but to it as far as I'm concerned now. Um, I don't want to feel obligated to please people. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was up until she passed away. It always what, what happened after that changed that? Because I realized that she had really loved me for being me. Oh. So now I could be me. Okay, now I have a question. So sure. what changed in your view that, see, I mean, this, the same with my mother. My mother adored me. My mother was like that little girl with the curl right in the middle of her forehead. Okay. And when she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was horrid. And, and you couldn't have gotten any more ethical or many things than my mother. And her criticism was not often, but whatever it was, I knew how much she loved me. That didn't always make it easy to be around her. Right. Yep. That, that's the reality. So once they're gone, you can focus just on that. Well, and the other thing that I focused on was the last two and a half months that I lived with her. Because um, I saw her go from being very alert, other than not understanding that she was blind, um, to slowly going through dementia. And it was during those cycles that, you know, she would tell me stories about herself, things that I knew nothing about. Oh, interesting. Can you say any what those sure. are without being too privately? So my mother was the youngest of seven children. Um, two, yeah. So two did not make it um, past oh. infancy. Um, so there were five of them, but she was the youngest. And her oldest sister raised her more than her mother did because her older sister, you know, was Americanized. My... Um, my mother, where did they come from? So they, they came from Russia. Mm -hmm. um, my grandfather came to the United States on his own first, got himself settled, went back to Russia to pick up my grandmother and his baby daughter, only to find out that my grandmother had gotten pregnant by him prior to his leaving. So there were two baby girls. Okay. To bring okay. Um, and there was, I think, nice. a 17-year difference between my mother and her oldest sister. Sure. So, you know, coming to America, my, you know, my aunts, you know, learned English before my grandparents did. And so my, you know, my mother's oldest sister became basically her mother. And my mother admitted that she resented that. Um, she wanted her mother to mother her, not her sister. And uh, even as they grew older and became adults, her her sister still acted like her mother. And uh, I think that was difficult for my mom because she sort of, you know, talked about it. She would say, you know, I know you were afraid of Aunt Jean, but I was definitely afraid of my sister Jean. You had an Aunt Jean? Yes. Me too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we have more in common than we ever thought. We're probably related. Yeah. Right? I'm sure we are. But. Yeah. You know, I'm so grateful that I had that time with her because if it had been any other way that she had passed, I wouldn't have had the chance to find out more about her, but sure. honestly, find out about who the two of us were together. Um, and that's been my healing process. And that's where, you know, 
I started thinking about that letter. I wanted to write it right at that time when she was ill so that I could read it to her. Oh, and you did? I didn't because I was afraid she wouldn't understand it. Oh. And so, you know, again, I'd write it, I'd throw it away, I'd delete it, I'd write it and throw it away. And then when I met you, I realized that letter was stuck right here. I mean, I really have had indigestion from that letter. Um, and I realized it wasn't just to her. It was to my father, too. Um, if the two of them are just, they were great parents. And sometimes I don't think we see that in our own families until we think it's too late. But listing what love letters live is all about my parents can hear those letters over and over again because i can oh, keep reading them i'm sure and they serve another purpose also but do you want to read us your letter um not if no, you don't do. not really but it, it talks can you about just tell us what some of the points were that you wanted your mother to know well the first thing is i i really wanted to know how much i miss her okay oh, yes. um she lived up in Michigan. I live in Ohio. And, um, you know, I called her once or twice a week, but it was the same conversation over and over again. And I would get very agitated because it was the same question, you know, what's new? And then again, what's new? And it's like, I've already told you what's new. Um, and then she'd complain about the food where she lived. Um, what city did she live in in Michigan? West Bloomfield. Oh, yes. Um, and then she complained about, you know, all the other people that lived there. They all wanted into her business. Um, and I didn't appreciate those conversations enough. And when I was spending that time with her, that's when I realized those conversations, I mean, I was repeating those conversations to her mm -hmm. as part of our conversation. What, what do you think those conversations hold within them. I have a thought, you know, the complaining and the, um, I don't think she had enough going on in her life to, you know, to make conversation about too many other things other than, you know, she didn't like dinner last night. So she's going to tell me that. Uh, do, you think, do you think that's a way for people at that stage of life to be saying, and wouldn't it be nice if they could do it more directly if, if this is true, that I am so sad that I am no longer in control of my life. I think you're, you're right. I mean, that's gotta be a horrible feeling. She, she got ill on August the 2nd and my brother and I um, both moved up to Michigan to be near her. And she, when she was still clear, she, knew that there was an election coming up. So this was in 2016. And she would ask us all the time, what was going on with, you know, the election? And my brother would sit in her living room, which was next to her bedroom, watching CNN all day, screaming at the TV. And she finally, she'd say to me, Karen, what is your brother doing? And I'd tell her, and she'd say, tell him to come in here. He has to stop screaming. But then she would talk to us very directly about politics and how she wanted Hillary to win because it was time for a woman. 
and she didn't want the orange man to win. And she was so coherent about it that we would have these conversations daily with her. Um, And so now the reflection for me is even more vivid. Um, You know, we made her a promise that Hillary would win. We couldn't keep our promise. So my brother and I keep writing each other saying, we're promising her now, you know, we're going to do everything (laughs) we can (laughs) to make sure Joe and Camilla win. Um, But I never knew what she felt prior to that time. She never talked politics before then. How interesting that she suddenly did. Told you about herself. Do you think she suddenly saw you as legitimately a grown woman like she was? Oh, absolutely. In fact, at one one time I reminded her, she couldn't remember my name. So when you'd ask her how many kids she had, she would say six, because that's what she always wanted. But she had three. So she would say, there's Gary, Joel, 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 her middle son, okay? And then, say, and then she'd say, and I have a daughter. And I'd say, yes, I'm your daughter. And she'd say, and your name is, and my uh, name is Kiki. And so she would say, it starts with a K. And, you know, when I'd remind her, she'd say, oh, yeah, you're my Kiki. And I would say, yeah, I'm your baby. And she'd say, oh, no, you're a grown woman. Oh, good. So I, I thought that was quite, you know, interesting. She and, le- and equalizes the field. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I look back at that in the beginning. I was a little jealous that she would say my brother's name four times. Sure. But I realized he was, he was always the one who was stepping up to the plate for my mom. Um, And so, yeah, his name was going to be right there in front of her all the time. And once I realized that, it was like, this is fine. You know, you know, her Joel is special and he should be. Yes. Good for you. Good for you. Probably a love letter to him one of these days. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, What what was your, what were your parents like with each other? Um, So they were very, very much in love with each other. But they were also known as the Bickersons. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember, there used to be a radio st- show um, that was called the Bickersons back uh-huh. in the 50s. And the husband and wife just argued and argued and argued. And then it was, oh, honey, I love you. And they would kiss and everything was fine. And that was my parents. They could be arguing. What was the, what was the bickering over? Oh, it could be anything. I mean, I remember... One time, I think I was eight or nine years old, my mother was going to take me out. And normally she, she made my clothes, but she was going to buy me a dress. And she was taking me to the department store to buy me a dress. And I don't know if they were short money or what the situation was, but my father got very angry. And he said, why are you buying her a dress? You just made her a dress. And she said, no, this time I want to buy her a dress. And he was so upset, but she took me anyways, okay? 
She never told me anything about my dad being upset, although I I did see it. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, the two of them hugged and kissed when she showed him the dress. And he said, oh, that's beautiful. And I remember him being so happy that I had this dress. But the argument that, you know, started from it, uh, there were some times, you know, that you could really be scared and think, oh, my God, you know. Oh, sure. I, I think for a lot of those kind of bickersons and bickering and, um, you know, we've we've all seen it. I think a lot of that is the somehow men feel I'm in charge here. Yep. You know, um, I saw I saw a very funny post some t- somewhere, I guess, on my computer screen years ago. And it said, you can just relax. No one's in charge. <laughs> well, and that's the truth. But I think, you know, for men who are DNA instructed to take charge and protect and do a variety of things, it's very hard sometimes for them to, you know, just say an automatic yes to something that they didn't decide. Right. Yes. So who are you, who, who did you, what did you do with this letter? So um, I sent it to both of my sons. Oh, perfect. And then I told them they could read it now. They could read it in the years ahead. I said, but I just want you to know, this is how I really felt about your grandparents. Um, in fact, you know, my parents were the true Bubby and Zadie of the family. Um, and my boys, you know, adored them. Um, By the way, translation for those who may not know. So Bubby. Bubby is grandmother and Zadie is grandfather. Um, and uh, they enjoyed the, those titles immensely. Um, and it, it was important to me for them to have it. I didn't think anybody else had to have the letter. Um, you know, I sure loved it. Pardon? I sure loved it. Oh, I appreciate that. So much instruction. There's so much we can learn from other people's letters, but go ahead. Well, I just felt that I think my sons knew how much I loved my mother, but they also knew how she grated at me. Okay. And I have tried not to do that with my boys. Although occasionally I know I do. Um, Did they let you know or you just have a little... Oh, no, they let me know. And and that's been part of the upbringing right from the beginning. Um, Because my oldest son lives in Chicago and he has a very, very busy life. I refuse to say to him, so when am I going to see you? When are you going to call again? Um, But my mother did that. As soon as we'd be at the end of a phone call, when are you calling me again? Or we'd walk in the door to see her and she'd say, when are you coming back? Oh, I just got here. Okay. Um, But there was that expectation that I would, I would constantly call. I would constantly come to visit. I think that reflects the sorrow that mothers sometimes feel at not having their babies home with them. Oh, I'm sure. Which is, by the way, when you feel safest because you know your children are safest when they're right there with you. Absolutely. I think. And even though I, I understood all that, it still didn't help at times. Um, and that's why I made the decision with my boys. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you you have to call me. You know, I may throw out a suggestion, 
you know, that if you need something, feel free to call. Um, and, you know, we, my youngest still lives at home, but if he's going out for the day, I don't tell him that he has to tell me as he's walking out the door, hey, I'm going out. I'm going to know he's going out because he's not here. Right. Um, right. But if I had been living with my mom and I had left the house and hadn't told her, there would have been, you know, some words when I came home. And uh, I just didn't want now, to that. I, I think that we have, as part of our culture, and maybe everybody does, I don't know about everybody's, but the philosophy that a person has the right to be remembered by his or her best deed. Did you grow up with that? Or was that just kind of in the air or what? Because I, I think it's true. Well, you know, I, I, that's how I, I was brought up, except for I had one aunt who my mother did not really care for. And when she, and when she died, <laughs> this was a very unusual thing. I had two aunts who passed away within a month or so of each other. One uh, was my father's sister, who everybody adored. Mm -hmm. um, and then one was my mother's brother's wife, who, you know, she, her nose was always up in the air. And I had come home to see my mother um, after both of my aunts had passed away. And we were sitting and having dinner. And I made com some comment, you know, um, I really miss Aunt Leba. And she said, well, and we don't miss the other one. Uh -huh. And I said, mother, that's not very nice. And she said, you know what? She's not here to hear it. And I don't care. Okay. First time, you know, that she made that kind of a statement. And I thought, you know what? Um, you're entitled, you know? There you go. Yes. We all have our feelings and she held it in for a long time and she let it out. And I said, uh, you know, hey, thank heaven that there comes a time in life and it should happen to everyone who has had to just subvert and shove down every experience that, that people can come and, and say things about themselves. Right. I mean, you know, my mother did some of that too, although my mother was always free to express how she felt about things and about her past, but, but there was more at the end. And um, yes, so th this letter, as is true of love letters, and, and so many people, I mean, I really do encourage it, write to people who are no longer here and send it to your children or your grandchildren. And those letters will be found in a generation or two. It happens all the time. And so your great-grandchildren will get to know what a legacy of understanding and love they come from. I think that's quite a gift. I think I it's too. A and the love letter that you write now is for you. And I'm going to ask you, what was the best part of that, writing that letter? Um, I got rid of a lot of the sadness that I'd been carrying around. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's when I was writing it, I real, I, I was like talking it out as I was writing it. And that's when I realized that I can still communicate with my parents. Oh, so that's um, a wonderful point. Because you know, the fact that somebody has left this earth 
does not mean you can't still talk to them. Right. I mean, even I hear their responses. Right. Now, sometimes, you know, I think I'm hearing a response and it's like, that's really okay to do. Uh, right. But it's, it's a freedom of saying, I'm now allowed to be me Good. and I can communicate and um, I don't need anybody else's permission to do it. And that was kind of a gift from yeah. her to you, even by some kind of crooked road. But I do think, and I feel this all the time, all the time, which is why I write so many letters. It feels so good just to bathe in the positive. And if there, if there is, and, and these letters, you know, for people who do them while parents are still living, can repair so much damage, so much damage. Just a letter that says, here's what I thank you for. And sometimes it's just the genetic good luck of having a strong personality. Absolutely. Acknowledging, acknowledging what you have gotten from somebody else is huge. But you got to bathe in the positive. I want to thank you for doing this with me. Oh, thank you. So and much to learn. And I want to point out something because I, this is my new, my new <laughs> always. People so often say, oh, I wish I had a magic wand. I just feel so awful about, you know, what went on between me and my mother and it's I wish I had a magic wand. And I say, you got one. And this, people, is it. The pen is your magic wand. So I hope you use it. And by the way, I just, I just do want to hold up a couple of things. The, the, what you put on that envelope is the first comment about what is inside. There are love things. There are, if you just want to do a simple, I love you, there is Wonder Woman. If you really want to let somebody know what you think, there are muscle cars. If that's something that the other person, you know, I'm going to use these for Alicia Midland from now on. Yes, right? absolutely. It, it just means you've taken that person into consideration from the outside all the way down to the depths. So that's it. I mean, orchids. Anyway, stamps are a wonderful art form. Just thought I would make that little commercial for the post office. Yes, I think that's a very good commercial, especially right now. So uh, I want to thank you for doing this with me. And we'll be back next week, and you'll have another guest. And I will, and I'll let you know who that is. Wonderful. Have a great day. Thank you, Bye dear. Now. Welcome, Bye. everybody, to Love Letters Live. I'll talk to you later. Bye.